Well, this morning I want to ask you um, how you would answer this question. Some time ago, uh, the Gallup Polling Organization asked this question, and it was printed in the USA Today magazine. What's the likelihood that the world will come to an end because of Judgment Day or another religious event in the next century? Very likely, somewhat likely, somewhat unlikely, very unlikely, or no opinion. Here's how Americans answered. Uh, 23% said, very likely. 16% said, somewhat likely. 16% said, somewhat unlikely. 41% said, very unlikely. And 4% had no opinion. Now think about that. Fully 61% of Americans are doubtful that Judgment Day could come in the next 100 years. Let me ask you, which answer would you choose? Which would I choose? I would choose very likely. Because Jesus could come in the next 100 years. I choose that not because I have any inside information, because I don't, but Jesus could come in the next hundred years. And the prophetic events of the future could easily take place within a hundred years. Once Bible prophecies occur, they can unfold very, very rapidly. Uh, when the nation Israel became a nation in 1948, you know what they said? It happened so quickly they called it the birth of a nation in a day. And Bible prophecy, once it begins to unfold, can take place very, very rapidly. Now, fortunately, we do not need to speculate about these issues. Because Jesus answered the question when he will return. We have been looking together in our series in Mark at the Olivet Discourse, and in this three-point sermon that Jesus gives, the longest of his sermons in Mark, we come now to point three. And Jesus answers this question, when he will return. And so I want you to take your Bibles and open with me to Mark chapter 13. And this morning, as we conclude the Olivet Discourse, we're going to begin by reading at verse 28. And I invite you to join me there in your Bibles. If you want to take the chair Bible, it is page uh, 1010. I would encourage you to grab a Bible. Remember what Jesus said is very, very important. And you want to be in a position of seeing it with your own eyes. And so I encourage you to get a Bible and turn there. And notice chapter 13, verse 28. And Jesus says this, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that He is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Let's bow together for prayer. Lord Jesus, Martin Luther one day said that he had two days on his calendar, 
He said, I have today and I have that day. And those are the only days that are guaranteed. Lord, we have today and we know that that day is coming. And just as the great reformer lived in light of the Lord's soon return, so that is the way we ought to live. We have today and we have that day. Help us to understand now when it is coming. From Jesus' own words, we pray in His name. Amen. I want you to notice that Jesus, as He is telling us the time when it will come, says it will come after the sign. After the sign. Now, in verse 28, Jesus gives us a parable about the fig tree. His disciples, back in verse 4, had asked this question, when will these things be? And so now in answering that question, Jesus uses a parable from the fig tree. Uh, the Mount of Olives was famous for fig trees. And right at Passover time, they were budding. Uh, it's very, very interesting as you think of the fig tree, most trees in Palestine uh, lose their, or keep their leaves in the winter. But figs are different. They lose their leaves in the winter, much like oak trees and maple trees do. So in Palestine, a tree like the almond tree blossoms in the spring, but the figs, in order to blossom, as we see this fig branch doing, need the greater warmth of the summer. So that everyone knew when the fig tree leaves appear and the buds begin to appear, it is a very clear sign that summer is coming. Now think then of Jesus' point. Just as the buds on the fig tree indicate that summer is near, so the sign that Jesus had been talking about shows us that the season for Jesus to come is near. Now, there are two phrases that are found here that are very helpful to help us interpret this uh, parable. Jesus said, when you see these things... As we have been working our way through this chapter, we have seen these phrases before. When you see, and these things. We saw those phrases uh, back in chapter, verse 4, in verse 14, and in verse 23. So Jesus said, when you see these things taking place. And what he's referring to is the abomination of desolation. And the reactions to it that we saw last Sunday in verses 20, 14 through 23. Now for the disciples, these things meant 70 A.D. And the destruction that would come upon Jerusalem by the Romans. For us, these things refer to the great tribulation yet to come. Uh, let me remind you of the three fulfillments of the abomination of desolation that we saw last week. For the disciples, the fulfillment was the short future. What would occur between 66 and 70 AD? But for us, it is the distant future. What will occur at some unknown point in the future when the tribulation begins? 
Now, this really, really helps us then with the meaning of verse 30. Because Jesus said, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Do you know this is the most abused verse in all of biblical prophecy? It is. Many say this generation, and they define that as 40 years, which is normally a generation, refers to the date in which Israel became a nation in 1948. Uh, It's interesting, the book, uh, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988, this was one of those reasons. Listen to what Edgar Wisenot said. The generation spoken of started on May 14, 1948, the day Israel became a nation. Israel is the time clock of God throughout history, and the generation will end 40 years later on May 14, 1988. That's why he wrote the rapture will come in 1988. So the point is, Jesus will return according to this view in 1988 because a generation is 40 years. A man that I grew up listening to quite a bit as a youth was Jack Van Impey, and he said the same thing. He said the apocalyptic times started in 1948, will find culmination around 2001, probably no later than 2014. I think we all know that view of that generation is the wrong view. What does this generation mean? Well, a generation usually refers to one's contemporaries, all those who are living at a given time. We often use that term. I was talking to somebody just this morning about the builder generation. I'm a part of the baby boom generation. Some of you belong to the buster generation, and we talk about the millennial generation. It is all those living at a given time. So what we have here then is a dual fulfillment. Jesus' disciples living at the time that the events would occur in 70 A.D. and the next fulfillment to all the believers that are living at the time when the great tribulation begins. By the way, Jesus spoke these words in A.D. 33. One of his disciples, John, lived uh, for a long time until he was 90 years of age. The temple was destroyed 40 years later, just as Jesus said, and John was alive in that generation that saw these events. Now, whether we will be here again depends upon our view of the rapture. You remember last week I gave you some verses that are indicators that the rapture could happen before the tribulation. And remember there's no verse that proves the timing of the rapture. But there are some verses that give us an indication that it may occur before the tribulation occurs. Let me remind you of what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 9 and verse 10. For they themselves declare concerning us what matter of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
And then notice four chapters later in chapter 5 and verse 9, Paul says this, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look at the Thessalonian epistles, what we discover is in the context, one of the things that Paul is talking about is the coming tribulation. And the book of Revelation describes that tribulation as the time period of God's wrath. And here, the Word of God says, we as believers in the church are not appointed to that time. Here's another verse that I want to share with you that I think is also an indicator that the rapture may happen before the tribulation begins. This is Revelation 3.10. And notice this promise that Jesus gave to the church of Philadelphia. He said, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. Now you know that the seven churches to the Revelation represent churches of all ages. So this is a promise not only to the church of Philadelphia, this is a promise to Bethel Baptist Church. And I want you to notice the promise is preservation outside the time of tribulation. We are not just promised deliverance from the wrath to come, but from the time period itself. The hour of testing refers to the tribulation period in Revelation when God's wrath comes. And did you notice? The tribulation is to test those who dwell upon the earth, a clear reference to the unbelieving world. Who is the tribulation for? It is for the non-believer. It is not for the church and God's people. I'll never forget my old professor Dwight Pentecost one day saying this, no verse proves the timing of the rapture, but Revelation 3.10 comes close. And I think that's true. Can we say for certain this proves the rapture will come before the tribulation? Well, we can't be dogmatic, but it sure seems to point in that direction. And so Jesus said to us, it will come after the sign. Let's notice, secondly, Jesus said it is a secret. Did you notice that in verse 32? But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, when Jesus talks about that day and that hour, Many refer this to the second coming of Christ that will follow after the rapture when Jesus comes to the earth. But sometimes the expression that day is a common Old Testament term for the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a prophetic term that refers to all of the end time events. Uh, it's probably been a while since we have read the book of Joel. But sometime go back and read the book of Joel and notice how you will find this expression, the day of the Lord, 
all throughout the three chapters of that book. Let me read them for you, some of them. Chapter 1, verse 15, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near, and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Jesus referred to this last verse and it is reiterated once again in the book of Revelation. Now do you know what the Apostle Paul said about this? The Apostle Paul said that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And it may be very, very helpful for us to say, okay, what exactly is involved in the day of the Lord? Well, here's what the Bible teaches. We are currently living in the church age, and uh, Jesus is calling out a people for His name and making them a part of His body. We believe there is good reason from the verses we have seen to believe that the rapture is the next event that could occur in God's agenda. Following the rapture, the Bible says there will be a period of tribulation that will last for seven years. At the end of that seven years, it is very, very clear, whatever you believe about the timing of the rapture, that Jesus will come in His second coming. He will come to earth with His saints. He will take believers from the tribulation into the millennium and He will reign for a thousand years. At the end of that time period, Satan will lead one more rebellion which will be defeated. The earth as we know it will be destroyed by fire and Jesus will create for us a new heaven and a new earth. By the way, isn't it great to know that God has a plan? Isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to know that history is going somewhere? You know what the evolutionary view of history is? Around, around we go, and where we stop, nobody knows. That's the evolutionary view of history. Here's God's view of history. God has a plan and we are headed somewhere, and He has clearly laid out for us in His Word what is that plan. Now, what does the day of the Lord include? Well, you can see. It includes the tribulation, the second coming, and Jesus' millennial thousand-year reign. And Paul said, it comes like a thief in the night. Do you know the reason why it comes as a thief in the night? Because according to verse 32, Jesus said, the Father alone has set the time. Did you see that? He said, nobody knows. The angels don't know. Even the Son of God Himself did not know. And I can just hear a question here this morning. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought Jesus knew everything. What do you mean that even he did not know the time. Well, this is what we need to understand. Jesus here is talking about the mystery of the Incarnation. 
When the Son of God became incarnate as the human person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He became fully God and fully man, He accepted human limitations according to the Father's will. Now, He had all the attributes of deity. He never lost those. But He limited them from His human standpoint according to the Father's will. So He got tired. Can you explain to me how the one who never sleeps nor slumbers got tired? It's the mystery of the incarnation. He got thirsty. He said, give me a drink. Can you explain how the one who made the oceans was thirsty? It's the mystery of the incarnation. He died on the cross. Can you explain how the one who gives life to all things gave up his own life? It is the mystery of the Incarnation. And here, Jesus accepted ignorance of the timing of future events because it was the Father's purpose that no one but the Father alone would know. Do you know one of the last things that Jesus said before He went up in a cloud to the disciples was this very thing? In Acts 1-7 he said, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons the Father has fixed by His own authority. If Jesus didn't know, then clearly no one else can know it as well. And Jesus' purpose in giving all of this information for us is not that we would get distracted trying to figure out the time, but that we would focus on His priorities. You see, no one can predict Jesus' return because no one knows when the day of the Lord will begin. Uh, For many years, 50 actually, Dr. John Walver administered at Dallas Seminary for most of those years as the president of the school. He wrote many, many very helpful books on Bible prophecy. And I want you to listen to what Dr. Walver said. The church has no dates, chronological structure, and nobody on the basis of Scripture can predict with absolute certainty the century of the rapture of the church. There may be reasons for leading us to believe that the Lord may be coming very soon, but nobody on the basis of Scripture can predict with absolute certainty the time of the rapture of the church. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Now, when people attempt to do that, one of the things that you will notice is they make a number of very, very serious mistakes. And I want to just share those with you for just a moment. Beware of the date setters because you will discover that they make at least five different mistakes. Let me give them to you. Number one is the last day's mistake. They ignore the passages telling us we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. Though we may be in the last days of these latter days, many of the so-called signs of the times have been around for a long, long time. Second, the current events mistake. It is dangerous and capricious to read current events back into prophecy. 
this allegorizing method has been around for a long, long time. It's been here since the Bible was written, and it is an arbitrary, inadequate method of Scripture interpretation. Number three is the wolf-wolf mistake, okay? We all know what it means to cry wolf. You say something bad is happening, something's going to come for a long period of time, it doesn't happen, and finally people say, you know what, you're just crying wolf. And here's what happens. When people set date, they bring about a crying wolf mentality on the part of unbelievers, bringing prophecy and even Christianity into dispute. And then if we have just seen, they make the this generation mistake, saying it means the birth of the state of Israel in 1948. The phrase may be better taken to mean the generation of believers living in the time of the tribulation, which is the context. And finally, the disobedience mistake. Jesus said, don't do it, right? How much clearer can it get? And so Jesus is telling us it is a secret. Let's look at his third answer. Number three. Jesus said when it does come, it will come suddenly. Look at verse 33. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep, and what I say to you, I say to all, including all believers at Bethel Baptist Church, stay awake. Now Jesus is telling us another parable here. And the background of the parable is the apprentice system in the first century. Wealthy landowners would often live outside of where they owned their land. And so they would come and they would delegate jobs to the apprentices to run the plantation and then the landowner would go off on a long journey. The apprentices never knew when he was coming back, and the job of the doorkeeper was perhaps the most important because the doorkeeper controlled everyone who came into the plantation, much like that would be the case today where people control who comes and goes from the White House. Now, it is very clear the details in the parable. The owner of the plantation is Jesus. The servants are believers in every age, including you and me. And it's interesting that Jesus says in the parable that the owner might come in the nighttime. 
He might come at evening. He might come midnight. He might come when the rooster crows. Or he may come in the morning. Do you know wealthy plantation owners did not travel at night? Because it was too dangerous because of all the robbers. So to come in the middle of the night would have been most unexpected. So do you see what the point of this parable is? The tribulation leading to Jesus' second coming will come suddenly. It will come unexpectedly. And Jesus says, because it will come unexpectedly and suddenly, and no one knows the exact time, there are two critical things that we should be doing while we are waiting. Here's what Jesus said. In light of the coming certainty of the end time, and its sudden expectation. And in light of the fact that 61% of Americans have said they don't believe this could happen in the next hundred years, Jesus said, here's what we ought to do. We are to watch, and we are to work. Did you notice that four times Jesus said, stay awake? Four times he said, keep awake or stay awake. You know what he means? He means to be spiritually alert. Vigilant rather than lax or indifferent. Watching over our lives so that we are doing the things that please the Master and are the things that He has called us to do. When I was a student in Bible college, our president, Dr. Sweeting, used to often say this. He used to say, failure in the Christian life is rarely a blowout. It is usually the result of a slow leak. And that is true. Christians usually do not blow out in the Christian light suddenly overnight. But rather, it is a long period of time of laxness, of indifference, of callousness. It is a slow leak. And that failure to watch over ourselves on a daily basis often keeps us unaware so that we get caught up in the traps of the evil one. And so Jesus said, if we want to be ready for His anytime coming, we need to be watching over our lives on a daily basis. And then did you notice He said we are to work? He said in verse 34, each one is assigned His work. What that means is Jesus has given to each one of us our own tasks in serving Him and He calls us to be faithfully doing those tasks. When I was a little boy, sometimes my dad would say to me, Brian, I have some chores I want you to do. 
And I want you to get those chores done by the time that I am getting home from work at 5.30. There were times when I did not get those chores done. Here's a little confession for you here today. Guess who was the last person I wanted to see? It was my dad. Because I knew when he came home, and I had not done what he asked me to do by the time he got home, that he would be displeased. And what a motivation that was. What a motivation to please him by doing the chores he had assigned. May I ask this question of all of us today? What would Jesus be displeased in us when He returns? What would He be displeased in us? Are we not saved? Though we had many opportunities to be saved? Are we living in sin and not getting things right? One day a man came into my office with his girlfriend. They were living together. He knew that what they were doing was wrong. He admitted that. He said, I'm going to get it right in my time and in my way. And they left my office. Do you know the next time I saw him, he was lying in a coffin and I was having his funeral. He was killed instantly in a car accident. And he said, I'm going to get this right in my time and in my way. But you know what the Lord said? You fool. This night your soul will be required of you. And it was too late for him to get things right. Some of us here are maybe thinking about getting baptized someday. Others of us maybe are thinking I should get more committed to the church since it's God's plan for the ages. But we're going to get committed someday. Some of us uh, are maybe feeling we ought to get into deeper fellowship with fellow believers. But I'll do that someday in my time and in my way. But what Jesus is saying is we really believe that the events of the end and His return could come suddenly. We won't put off until tomorrow what He calls us to do today. A lady by the name of Grace Troy wrote a very helpful poem. It's entitled, What Would He Say? Let me close with this poem this morning. Listen to what she wrote. If he should come today and find my hands so full of future plans, however fair, in which my Savior has no share, what would he say? If he should come today and find my love so cold, my faith so very weak and dim, I had not even looked for him, what would he say? If he should come today and find that I had not told one soul about my heavenly friend whose blessings all my way attend, what would he say? If he should come today, would I be glad? 
remembering that he died for all, though I had never received his call, what would he say? We have two days on our calendar. Today and that day. And what a beautiful thing for Jesus to reduce it so simply. Watch over ourselves. Work for the Master. And we'll be ready when He comes. Let's bow together, shall we? I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you. But I've been a pastor long enough to know that one of the great sins of God's people is putting things off till another day. There is something about the procrastination that Satan lulls us into thinking we have plenty of time. When the Bible says there is actually an urgency about obeying the call of Jesus Christ. And I don't know what it is for you today. I don't know if you've been putting off salvation and you're, you're not truly a saved person. I don't know if it's baptism and, and the call of Jesus Christ to follow Him in obedience in the waters of baptism. I don't know if it's a greater commitment to the church, perhaps going through the membership process and, and being all in in this congregation. I don't know if it has to do with getting more serious about joining a fellowship of believers where you can study the Word of God together with them and grow in your faith. I don't know if it's some sin issue in your life right now that you are excusing, that you are putting off, that you are somehow thinking it will all work out, but you don't have to confront it. I don't know what it may be. But remember, the purpose of Bible prophecy is not to mark our calendar. It is to motivate our character. And today, however God may be speaking to you, do not put off what He is saying. Obey Him. Seek whatever assistance or help you may need. But let Him have your way, His way in whatever area of your life it may be. The Bible says that there are going to be some who when Jesus comes, they will shrink back in shame at His appearing. And God does not want you to be in that group. And so this morning, whatever it is we need to deal with that we haven't watched over, whatever work we have been assigned that we have not been doing, may we obey our Savior today, do our assigned tasks, and what I say, I say to all, stay awake. Lord Jesus, Come and move in our hearts now. Draw us to Yourself as only You can. Thank You for Your wonderful Word. 
and the clarity of it and how it encourages our hearts as we wait for the future. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.